0: Breaking news this afternoon on the Millwall Football Club website is that they are pleased to reveal that it's a compensation package for season ticket holders which will allow them to watch all of the Lions' remaining 2019-20 fixtures on iFollow. Of course, the rest of the campaign is being played behind closed doors, but Mill season ticket holders will be given exclusive access to stream all home and away games left to play starting with a visit of Derby County on the Saturday 20th of June. Details of how season ticket holders can gain access to the streaming of matches will be announced next week. Fans who purchased match tickets for the home games against Derby and Swansea City, as well as for the matches away to Barnsley and Charlton Athletic, will be entitled to a full refund. These refunds will be issued as soon as it's logistically possible. The club will also offer supporters the alternative option to pledge their refund monies as part of a donation the Lions are making to Millwall Community Trust to assist them with its ongoing operations during this difficult time. The club placed on record its gratitude to fans for their patience, understanding and loyalty throughout. There will also be arrangements for those people who are not season ticket holders to watch the games on iFollow as well when they're not being covered on Sky Sports.
3: Hi, I'm Bethany Warren and you are joining me to listen to the podcast of our Millwall Fan Show with the No One Likes Us Talking team, which is available every Friday at 8pm.
2: Good evening. It is indeed Friday night. This is our Millwall Fan Show and I... I'm your host, Matt Beadle, back on the Millwall Fan Show. You may remember me from the Millwall Fan Show on Love Sport. To those that don't shame on you, I'm delighted to say I have the trusty, the wily old campaigners of the No One Likes Us talking team of Jeff Burnage, Patricia Maslin, and Gary Staff. We are
4: Millwall from the No one likes us. Not everybody likes them, but they don't care. Don't
2: care. There it is. How I've missed. How I've missed that little jingle before the show. Like I said, me, Matt Beadle, here with Jeff Burnage, Patricia Maslin and Gary Staff. Hello, guys. It's great to be back. How how are <laughs> we all, Patricia, first and foremost? <laughs> tell you- I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't
5: to the absence of gun then.
6: Oh, dear.
4: Good I'm evening, Matt.
6: Jeff, good evening, Matt. <laughs> Jeff here. Just like old times, good to hear your voice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Even better to hear yours, guys. Good to know this runs just as smoothly as it did when we were <laughs> on a Love Sport. <laughs> I'll go, I'll go straight into it, shall I? I'll go with the first up of tonight's topics, which is more of a regular feature that we've been discussing over the past few weeks. You, the listeners, were keen to hear about a specific period in the club's history. That being the successive player finals in 2009 and 10, plus that return to the championship for the 10-11 season. Alan Dunn has been on the show. We've had Tam Mkandawire, Scotty Barron, Danny Schofield, and tonight we have Another alone spell from Ipswich eventually led to a permanent switch to the den in the summer of 2010. He racked up 125 games. He weighed in with a healthy 22 goals from midfield. And now six years on from leaving the lines, he is loving life over in Orange County as he plies his trade in the US Championship. It is, of course, Del Boy himself, Liam Trotter. Trotts, Great to have you on the show. I guess we'll start again with the the customary the usual questions. We're in lockdown. How has life been for you?
3: thanks Matt for having me um I've been doing okay thank you. It's obviously a difficult time for everybody right now. It's a strange time, but you know from a personal point of view i i've been I've been okay. You just kind of keep ticking over with a bit of fitness and keep yourself occupied so You know, I'd say I'm in a a good place mentally. Thankfully, nobody who's close to me right now has come in contact with the virus. So I can only be thankful for that. And, you know, I'm just hoping that everybody else out there is is okay and, and feeling well.
2: Nice one, Liam. Good to know all is well. But let's get on to football and more importantly, your arrival at the Den. Now, you initially came in on loan from Ipswich, two spells, in fact. Then you eventually signed for the club. Just talk us through how that move came about.
3: Basically, I've uh, been playing part of the season
2: at Ipswich in the, in the
3: championship. Uh, Roy Keane was our manager at the time. Um, and I think I'd started about 12 to 15 games in the first half of the season. Um, but we were struggling quite badly. We couldn't get a run of form and we were right near the bottom. So naturally, you know, I think sometimes things have to change at that point and the manager kind of had a change up and I kind of came out of the team um but obviously haven't had a taste of football I was I was kind of keen to to start playing again I didn't really want to miss out anymore so we but uh, I think Millwall came in in the January and um said they wanted to take me on loan for the rest of the season and I spoke to the manager Roy Keane and he was you know he said that he would like me to go out on loan to get the games to keep playing so it just kind of it was perfect for me I obviously had a friend at the club in Scott Barron who I played with at Ipswich so you know, it was, it was the perfect move for me at the right time. Hi,
5: Liam. Maybe the 2009 playoff final also influenced you to join us. You featured for Scunthorpe in that match where they defeated us by the odd going five. What were your memories of that day?
3: Uh, obviously, that that was an amazing day for myself and, and Scunthorpe. Um, it was. I remember it being extremely, extremely hot. Um, I think. If I remember correctly, that was part of the reason I didn't start the game was because the manager said he wanted to play the other midfielder who was a super fit engine and he said he wanted him to play the first hour of the game and then bring me on for the last half an hour and at the time I remember being very, very annoyed and disappointed. But in the end, I I came on at 60 minutes, I think it was, and Millwall were 2-1 up at the time and obviously Scumport went on to win 3-2, so... It kind of I kind of had to accept it because it worked out just how the manager wanted it to but I remember obviously Gary Alexander scoring that amazing goal and just you know the whole atmosphere of the day it was again very close friends with Scott Barron so he was on at Mill at the time so I actually ended up that night with Scott I think we went out for a drink together I was obviously in a much better mood than he was but yeah, I remember it was my first real experience of a, a playoff final at Wembley, so it was an amazing day for me.
6: Well, Liam, uh, that was not going to be your first and last Wembley appearance. In joining us in January 2010 on loan, what were the expectations of you and your fellow Millwall teammates at that stage?
3: Um, I think there was a there was. There was belief there there was belief that having been to the playoff final the year before i think when i signed we were about i think we were about ninth eighth or ninth in league one um probably four or five points outside the playoffs but there was a you know a real belief that the team could have a little bit of a run and and make it into the playoffs um i know that's i know that that's definitely what everybody wanted and that was the aim and you know, I remember that when we did get there, we ended up going on a, a very good run um, and only just missed out on automatic. So, you know, that was that was the goal. But I think in, as the season towards started to end, we started to really believe that we could be promoted automatically and, and catch. Uh, I think it was Leeds. At
4: the end of that season, the Lions finished third in the league. One point off automatically promoted Leeds United and set for the playoffs once again. What was the feeling missing out on automatic promotion
3: by one point with a single goal difference? Um, I don't think it was because like I said, when I arrived in January, our aim was only ever was to make the playoffs. I don't think, you know, what a Mac was really something that the team believed that we were going to achieve at that point in January. And then it wasn't until we went on such a great run. But then having missed out, I feel that we kind of all were just, we were, were a strong group mentally. And I think we just kind of all felt that we've been playing so well that no matter, and I think we had played pretty much all the other three teams who were going to be in the playoffs, and won and beat yeah. them. So I think we were, we were, you know, we went into the playoffs very confident that, especially with the semi-final being, you know, having a second leg at the Den, that gave us more confidence. And then I think we believed that we could beat anyone in the final on the day. So mm-hmm. I think we were, we took it pretty well. I think it was just a case of, okay, we didn't get the automatic. Let's get back to training and let's finish the season off right.
6: So in high spirits uh, you're headed into the playoff semis, a two legged affair. What are your memories of those two games?
3: I'll be honest, I don't remember the first leg too much. I remember it was a very tight, tight game. Um, You know, not a lot in it. We were kind of Looking for the win, but I think more importantly, knowing that the second game was at the Den, it was about not losing. And to be honest, one of my memories of that game isn't a particularly good one. My only real memory from that game was that I put in a tough challenge on... um, I think his name was Tom Clark, and he had to go off. And then I found out after the game that the challenge had torn his crew shirt, So I had to give him a little text after the game and apologise and let him know that I didn't mean to do it. But I think that's probably my overriding memory from that first leg. Um, in terms of the second leg, I just remember the atmosphere mainly. Uh, the atmosphere was electric that night at the den. You know, the fans really got behind us. I think everybody there, and you know, the players, the fans, the manager, I think we all knew that we were going to win that game. Um, Huddersfield were a very good team, but we were just going to be too strong for them, too fit. Um And just too much determination really and we and we knew we were going to get the job done and it just kind of it wasn't kind of like an excitement of oh we've made it to Wembley it was kind of like well done boys we've done the first job um I think we all knew that we all felt and believed before that game that we were we were going to go to the final so it wasn't a big surprise or a big celebration it was just kind of continue with what we've been doing really.
5: After an electric night at the Den on the 18th of May 2010 you walked out onto the turf of Wembley for the playoff final against Swindon. What was that day like?
3: A few things stuck out in my mind from that game. It was, you know, probably first and foremost, I remember Charlie Austin's miss. I remember being directly behind him as he was running through on goal and thinking, "Oh no, he's going to score this because he'd been scoring so many goals that season." Um, I think even from my angle, I even, I mean. Anybody who's watched that game back or seen us in the ball took a little bobble just before he went to finish it, and I think even from my angle, I noticed that bobble, and I remember the relief when he missed that chance. I remember a lot of anger that game at Steve Morrison and, and Chopper because I think they both could have had a hat trick each if they'd just pass to each other, which they refused to do because they both wanted a Wembley goal. So um, I remember being pretty angry at them too. I remember. Sean back running himself into the ground to the point that he nearly had to crawl off the pitch um, and then I remember the, the atmosphere again, the fans, everyone being behind us and I remember that it was just a game that again we really truly believed that we were destined to go up that year. I think we just believed that we had too much for any other team that we were going to go up against and ultimately that proved the case so it was just kind of a day of you know, reinforcing the belief that we'd had in ourselves for the last three or four months.
2: Trotts, Danny Schofield said he'd never seen Wembley look so blue. What were your thoughts on that?
3: Again, you know, Mill fans—they—they they turn up on on them big days. They always seem to be there, and there's always a lot, a lot of fans. You know, I remember—I think at the time it was a it was a record for a single amount of fans at a, a game, Well, that might have been the year before against Gunthorpe, But you know. A, A lot, a lot of blue. I remember a fan running on the pitch at the end of the game and jumping on me and hugging me. I got a picture of me holding him up like he's my kid or something. He was only a little fella. Um, So, yeah, it was a great day.
6: I couldn't believe Morrison and Harris, but you are right. Each wanted to be the first to score at Wembley. Unbelievable. But thankfully, Robbo did. And Charlie Austin missed what was a sitter... And the championship beckoned. Were you apprehensive about our chances in the championship?
3: I wouldn't say apprehensive. Obviously, you're not really sure how the team's going to fare. But I think one of the good things, of, well, one of the good and bad things going up through the playoffs is that you don't get really much time to turn around. I think we had maybe three and a half weeks off before mm-hmm. we were back into pre season, ready for the next year. So, in terms of getting a holiday, it's not great. But in terms of keeping your momentum and just kind of staying fit, it's a, very, it's a good thing. I think we were just, you know, again, we, that we were still riding that high, that confidence that we've kind of got going since the January and, and, and believed that whilst we may not be necessarily the most talented team in the league or we have the highest budget or anything like that, I think we, we, we believed that we could go up there and compete. And again, I think we knew that our home form was going to be very important throughout the season. And I think
7: we,
3: I, was, I remember I was very confident when we went up that we weren't going to be relegated. I think when you're a team being promoted, that's your first and foremost thought is about relegation and can you survive and stay in that league. And I was 100% confident that we were not going to be going down that season.
4: You were confident that you were not going to drop straight back to where we come from. Was it a credible ninth place for Mill to finish in the championship? or could we have done better?
3: Uh, I'd say is very credible. Um when you're when you're like I said, when you're coming up from the league below, I think your first form, first thought is can we stay up? Can we avoid relegation? Um and we did more than that, you know, I think up until the last three games, I think it was, until we lost to Swansea at home. We were in the chance of a shout of getting into the actual playoffs. Um I think that's very credible for again the team, the budget, the you know, what Mill had as an infrastructure at the time. It was a very credible uh placing. Um could we have made the playoffs? Of course, with a little bit of luck here and there. Um, you know, decisions, games, games we probably should have won or we didn't win or drew, etc. But I think overall, you know, we we were happy with ninth place. I think we did the club proud that season. I think the fans were happy with us that season. And, you know, it's a shame we didn't we couldn't quite make the playoffs, but you know, I still think we should be proud of where we did finish and what we did that first season back in the championship.
2: Okay, Trotts, awesome to have you with us and fully appreciate you coming on. Thanks for joining us. It was my pleasure.
3: Bethany Warren here again. Thank you for listening to our show. Don't forget, Love Sport Radio is now mothballed pending change in current pandemic conditions. Love Sport are still running previous programmes and you can hear some programmes on demand online. You can still listen to repeat programmes both online and on DAB. Hopefully we'll be back on the air with them quickly when conditions improve. In the meantime, watch out for our podcast adverts on Facebook and Twitter. Our podcast show links are available on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, Spreaker, iTunes... SoundCloud and Pinterest.
2: Right then. It is the official Nolu talking review of Millwall's top 20 goal scorers of this century, as produced by Bringing Stats Alive Football, who you can find on Facebook and who produce fantastic visualizations of statistics. This week, we have the second of four players on 17 goals sitting in joint 15th position. It is the splendidly named Danny Salvatore Ernest Dicchio. Patricia, I'm going to come to you first. Danny Diggio, one of Millwall's top 20 goal scorers.
5: Yeah, I've really enjoyed watching Danny. Big tower centre forward. I think he's about six foot three. And just the type of player you need when you've got someone like Paul Phil putting in quality crosses. Um, I remember when he came on loan. I think it was from West Bromwich Albion. He scored five in his first five games. Um, it's no wonder we went on to buy him. Um, played a really big part in our FA Cup run, although he didn't make the final. Um, He got sent off, I think, in a league game. Um, And I do remember him talking about that and saying how it really affected him, and he thought about giving up football because of it. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed watching him while he was with us. Not with us for too long, a couple of years, and I know he got quite a bad injury. He was out for half a season. But, yeah, good player
4: for Millwall. What do you think, Gary? Um, Bit of a folk hero, I think. He came in, did what he did. I think it was a season and a half, two seasons. The 04 FA Cup run was synonymous, uh, and he'll always be a massive part of that. But what I didn't realise, he actually came in halfway through that um, uh, run as well. Um, I think he came in after the Burnley game, if I'm right. I'm sure Jeff knows the exact day when he arrived. Um, But... I do feel for him because I think if he had played in that FA Cup final, it would have been a very different game along with uh, Mr Muscat, who uh, unfortunately got injured in the semi-final as well. Um, But no, I'm with Pat, a great, great player and a great cameo for the club.
2: And Mr Burnage, over to you. He had quite... Quite a colourful career, didn't he? Obviously, we saw him initially starting at QPR with those those long-flowing locks. They soon disappeared, but an imposing centre-half. And like Gary says there, Jeff, if he had played in that final, it maybe, maybe it might have been a different story.
6: He was a player that, personally, I would love to have had at Millwall earlier in his career. I remember seeing him and Kevin Gallon uh, as a front two for QPR, and I was envious. I really liked Danny as a player. And uh, I think he was extremely unlucky to miss that final. His effect, I can see the offence now that he was red carded for. It wouldn't have been an automatic red card even in those days. He was fouled. He got up with his hand. He put his hand on the fouling player's chest who went down like a sack of coals and the referee sent him off. A week before, Ryan Giggs had committed exactly the same offence, got a yellow card. Um, So I think Danny was really unfortunate to miss the chance to play in an FA Cup final. And I think Moore were very unfortunate not to have him playing for us that day. You mentioned uh, Kevin Muscat missing as well. Um, Yeah, I think we would have put up a much better show uh, if we had had those two players and if Dennis himself had been fully fit, he he wasn't. Uh, he put himself in the team and moved Marvin Elliott to right back to the exclusion probably of Alan Dunn uh, because Kevin Muscat wasn't playing. I, I don't think it was impossible for us to have taken Man United to a much harder ending of that game than we did. Uh, but I really like Danny as a player and I do remember him very fondly for his performances.
2: OK, guys, well, similar, of course, to our legend hero or I can't remember what was the other parts of that legend hero or something else. Gosh. There was another element. <laughs> what was it, Pat? Thank you very much.
4: No, thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was the one. Brilliant. What was Danny Dekio, Patricia Maslin, I'll come to you first, a goal hanger, a good goal scorer or a great goal scorer?
5: Well, as I've said on previous weeks, we got to judge these players on their time at Millwall alone and not their whole career. So I can only
2: give him good goal scorer, Gary Staff.
4: Um, I'm with Pat, good goal scorer,
2: and Mr. Burnage.
6: I'm going with great goal scorer. Uh, I, I really rated him as a player. Uh, you mentioned Pat that he scored five goals in his first five games. I think that's what you said. Um, I think he was a great loss when he missed the final and when he left us. Yeah, for me, great goal scorer. Wish his career at normal been a lot, lot longer.
2: There we go. Unsurprisingly, a split between the three. Good to see that things never change. Danny Dikio there, one of the the top goal scorers of Millwall's 21st century history. We're going to move on now and talk John Berylson. Last month, the Millwall chairman responded to questions posed by fans and a video was released on the club website. Over the past few weeks, we've discussed his responses and we shall now switch our attention to the third of those questions posed. That being just this. When... Can we realistically expect to see more plans of the revamping of the stadium and surrounding areas? With thanks to the club for these responses,
7: let's hear what John had to say. Working away at this for 15 years, 14, 15 years now, and this is, uh, this is the best position we've ever been in. We're trying to finalise a lease with, the, uh, with uh, Lewisham as we speak. The uh, individuals now at Lewisham, uh, as opposed to what was true in the past, are working with us. Uh, in particular, the uh, mayor Damian uh, Egan and his right-hand man uh, Viv Evans uh, are very pro Millwall. We're uh, working very closely with Steve Kavanaugh and our advisors to rewrite the lease and uh, and get the plans in place. Uh, no one wants to uh, no one wants to break ground faster than I. And this is frustrating me terribly because I see developments where I live and. Uh, quite frankly, once they're uh, ready to go, sort of three, four, five years later, or sooner, they're, they're done, go, play. Sometimes quicker, two years, three years, and uh, that's obviously not been the case here. Um, but uh, now that we seem to be making some progress, I think uh, after this uh, virus begins to go away, evaporate, we have, whatever, however it is we contain it, I think uh, will be uh, it'll be very quick, because everybody wants this done. Uh, and it's important to the community. It's important to the club that this gets done. Uh, from, and, and for me, I, I have a lot of people to thank for this. Obviously, the management of the club, my, my past uh, chief exec, Andy Amber, my current one, Steve Kavanaugh, uh, my, uh, all, the, all the legal teams uh, that have worked with us, as well as our architects and CBRE, who have been our advisors. Uh, but most of all, I think the fans have driven this uh, for us, and broke the logjam when we uh, when we hit a problem with the prior political base of South Lo- uh, London, and uh, the use uh, I think effectively our our fans on the board were magnificent in uh, uniting the fans once once they understood the issues at hand, and uh, I think uh, with everybody contributing, uh, fans first, management, architects, everything we finally broken through and I think once we're able to I, I expect this to be uh, to be moving now fairly rapidly and um, I can't wait I mean, I, and I sure want to be around and watch a lot of the games uh, in our new surroundings
2: John Berylson, there, Millwall Chairman thanks again to the club for that Audio footage there that was released on the club website last month. Jeff, I'm gonna to come to you first on this because I know this is a s well, it's a subject close to everybody's hearts really, but you're well aware of the wrangling that the club have gone through to get to the position that John Berrelson described just there. Did you ever think that Millwall might not be able to wrestle some control in that regeneration project?
6: Yes, I did. I did fear that. Um John was right in saying that this had been going on for fifteen years. That's longer than most of our fans realise. I felt at the time that the club did not react well to the possibility of regeneration in the area. Um, After a while, when Peter de Savare came in, he was briefly chairman, if you remember, he went to the other extreme and beat the drum in an attempt, I think, to bring in some some new shareholders. Um, But we really made a mess of this, and it was only when the full horror of what was being proposed by uh, the Council in conjunction with the developers that people began to react. and uh, So at that stage I thought we'd do well to head it off. And uh, we have, and um, uh, it's just great. I mean, uh, bringing in CBRE as planning consultants, that did please me. That's an American company that took over a London firm called Hillier Parker, where my father, a previous Millwall chairman, had been senior partner. So I've always had a good good relationship with CBRE. I'm glad they're on board. Um, I'm pleased to hear that John says that things should be moving fairly soon. And let's be fair, the area does need regeneration. London does need new housing. Let's get on with it.
2: Well said, Jeff. Gary... I just want to come to you on this one because I know there's been mixed feelings out there about what's being proposed. What, I mean, from your perspective, what are the main reasons again? What against what has been graphically portrayed?
4: Um, just want to make a point. I'm actually, I actually really like what's been proposed. I think the arches are great, but I think it's what I like that what people don't like. Um, the the arches, I feel, give us a bit of um, personality, and it's not like a typical stadium. I mean, you looking round it, and it's just more like a, an amphitheatre. I think the way they've designed it, and it's obviously they brought the arches in because of the arches that are local to and in, local in the area. But I've heard people say, "Oh, it just looks like the new London Bridge and stuff like that." But that's other people's opinion. I quite like it. Can't wait to see what the inside will look like and what the new uh, view will be like from the Docker Stand, looking across at the bigger stand. But I think that's what it is. I think what I like is what people don't like. So the arches, the new car parks, the new big buildings out the front. Jeff's right. We do need regeneration. The old um, lorry car park, as you're walking along down to all South Bermondsey station, that's been cleared now for about two, three years. Come on, let's get some shovels in the ground and start tidying this area up.
2: So on that note then, Pat, because often when you hear about clubs who have Premier League ambition, it always, not starts, but we hear that you know we need to regenerate the area, we need to revamp the stadium, we need to look like we are a Premier League club. If Millwall truly have that Premiership, Premier League ambition, is the regeneration a key component for that success? And I guess as part of that, what elements do you see as critical improvements in achieving this?
5: Well it's it's obvious Millwall got to move forward with the times and it's not really a case of needing it for promotion. This project was always gonna happen, whether Millwall took part or not. Luckily we now have a say in our own surroundings. Um hope hopefully because of that, the new Millwall Community Centre will be built, we'll be able to keep this small memorial garden we've got there in some form. Um obviously Mainly, there's a station going to be built for the 3,500 3, homes planned there. Um, they've also said our capacity in the ground will rise for about 14,000 more. But then again, they've also said that the inside isn't going to change much, which is a good thing for us because we need to be near the pitch to let the away team know what we think of them. So, I mean, it's all good things, yeah. We need to get on with it now and get it sorted.
2: Always good points, guys. Always good listening to the the passion and the knowledge you have of your football club. I'm sure this is a subject we'll come back to later on as we continue to do these Our Millwall Fan Shows. For now, we will be back in one short moment.
0: Hello, Eamon here. Great to have Matt Beadle hosting for a night. On to other matters. You may well remember that a few weeks back we featured the story of a Millwall fan, Richard Walker, who was lying in King's College Hospital in a very poor condition. We sent out good wishes to him from his friends and fellow Millwall supporters on air. The following week I heard from Richard's brother Steve, who told me that Richard had passed away. We had received so many kind thoughts from our listeners and those that knew him well. Richard was a very kindly person and lived with learning difficulties throughout his life, which made him vulnerable. I heard from his brother Steve again this week, and he wanted to talk about Richard before his funeral took place next Monday. Here is what Steve had to say. He,
1: he, was, he was
0: loved by lots of people. Yeah, it would appear so, and he'd done some, some lovely things in, in the work that he did. Giving bouquets to people,
1: in which he places. made. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. The, so, the only thing which um, got me is because he never ever stayed in touch with us. was more interested in, in in being befriended by people and sort of uh, doing what you said, uh, like the uh, flowers and all that.
0: But you have those memories of
1: growing up. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, especially at Millwall, we made us laugh, and um, we we had some. Um, plenty of times but some city times as well. He he was always there. He was always there behind the goal and when he could have pulled he could go and stand.
0: How long did you both support the Lions?
1: Oh, well we have supported Mill since we were kids, you know, it's always when I used to do my dad's uh, pulls, I always yeah. put Mill down first, but I didn't know I was putting them down him put them down and down for a draw. <laughs> that, but that was me. <laughs> Obviously don't want to him down for a draw, I want to win but But I've always been absolute normal all I've same as Richard as Terry, my other brother, had a a time at West Ham when he was younger. Bless him. But he came up to Millwall in the end. Peter, the other younger brother, always been Millwall.
0: In remembering Richard, is there anything that you'd like to say to those that were close to him? To those that
1: were close to him, thank you for being his friend. Thank you for... um, looking 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 out for him you know thank you for letting him be part of the community which really really humbled me because he he wanted he wanted love and friendship and he got it through millwall and through his um social friends in Campbellville, where very lived there's a couple of things that i'll have to tell you about i mean especially um i must own up to the fact that going back to about 1968 millwall were playing birmingham in a in a match and uh the goalkeeper Jim Herriot, was, was maybe wasting time by going round the back of the goal to get the ball, and it was my brother that punched him. It was Richard that punched him, uh, but um, it was a big, it was a big uh, bumpers there. I mean, the police were trying to get hold of him. Uh, Millwall fans were put in one way, the police were put in the other, and at the end of it, the Millwall fans won, and fortunately, he got away with it. I won't condone it in any way. Cause
0: he didn't know any better, given his condition. He got fed up, and so he punched Jim here. That's what happened. He had his challenges, after all, didn't he?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, other than that, he was... He's Millwall for him, for a blessing. Yeah. I remember one day we went to an open day, and we all went down to an open day. If I think that was in the late 70s, very early 80s. And we went to an open day, went to have a look and see what's going on, and... My brother Richard, he was there about, obviously, like two hours before everybody else, and he got pulled in and got changed to do some uh, training things with the players. There was me and my brother and my mates, and there was my brother Richard on there um, training with the Millwall players, like heading and things like that. I thought, oh, my God. (laughs) That that was good. That was good. You know, he enjoyed it. He was glad to be picked for that. And, uh, well... We all went, went home and told our mum and dad what Richard had done. And, uh, yeah.
2: you know,
1: my dad was always fully supportive of him. Yeah. And there's a pub called the Jolly Wagoners. Or well, he used, it's Wheelands now. But, um, we always used to drink in there. And a new, um, publican turned up and t- took over the place. And, uh, we're all, um, he, he wanted to scrape his wardrobe, he got out of his top floor of his top bedroom of his of the pub. And there was about four or five of us trying to get rid of this wardrobe and all that, and we couldn't move it. So we went downstairs and had a drink and a cup of tea, or whatever. And suddenly there was a mighty smash outside the pub. And we all rushed out to see what happened. And all we see was the remnants of this wardrobe all on the floor outside the pub. <laughs> and Richard had just single-handedly got hold of it and got this wardrobe and chucked it out the window. And, and I'm telling you, it was so, it was just by luck or judgment that no one was walking past the time. They would have been dead. Yeah. Well, thank goodness no one was about. But that was what he would do anything for anyone, just to prove how, you know, nice it can be, just to be
0: uh, thought of. So just to be thought of, I can and I will.
1: (laughs) But that was a, that was a day to remember. Good memories. Some, some silly ones, you know.
0: There were so many people that, that contacted us. It was, it was quite incredible. They must have been very well known. And I know you've got Monday coming up where yep. Dean Wilson is undertaking the, the funeral yes. arrangements for you. And it's all going to happen down at Elton Crematorium.
1: Yeah, it's only going to be about half hour, so ten
0: people that, at the most. We hope that that goes the best that it possibly can. Never easy, those, uh, those events. and uh, no, his right. stories certainly brought a bit of a light <laughs> to a lot of people. <laughs> RIP, Richard Walker, can you all take care.
1: Thank you and thank you very much for your time and thanks for everybody who held their hands out for him. I am most appreciative of it, most appreciated.
2: Okay, there have been a good few of the Millwall family who have sadly passed during this period and both our team and our listeners express sincere condolences to their families and friends. Now, the original track of what follows was played on the show for Richard Walker by the nurse at his bedside in King's College Hospital. I don't know about anybody else. I was dancing away on my seat here at home. Delighted to say as well that tonight there is a nice story behind the player of that music and someone is on the line to tell the tale. That person has displayed his choral skills on the show before by getting his friends and the staff of an Indian restaurant to sing No One Likes Us. You know who it is. It is, of course, Sam Gardner, our fan coming out of lockdown tonight. Sam, welcome back. I'll get the customary question out of the way. How have you been coping in lockdown?
8: Hello, hello, good evening all. Um, yeah, um, to be quite honest, um, as positive as can be, really, I decided to come and, uh, isolate down with my mum and my sister. Um, after being furloughed, um, I would have gone crazy, uh, for this amount of time in, indoors by myself. Probably would have been calling you guys every Friday doing your nutting. So, um, <laughs> being down there and keeping busy has been quite good. And yeah, after the initial, uh, uh, confusion of it all or it all coming on top, we, uh, Made the best of it by the way. so it's been nice, it has been nice.
5: Hello, hello Sam, it's Pat here. Hiya Pat, how are you? All right, I'm fine thanks. So good. tell us about that wonderful piano version of Let em Come, and have you inherited <laughs> the musical genes on the restaurant well, team Well, I feel like I need a new gig, it's been a year now
8: since that chart, and I feel like I need to, uh I need, I need a new gig to uh, be asked back again, but um, no, the music um was a surprise to myself actually, because... Um, it's my granddad. Uh, my granddad uh, is a pianist, uh, has been all his life, um, comes from Calcutta, moved over here many a moon ago, and eventually ended up playing at the Ritz. So he's been like their resident pianist for 25 years. And um, I go there, you know, once a year um, at Christmas to have tea and watch him play. And, and he's come up and, you know, I'm just trying to have my own business, you know, knock, knock over cutlery and make a scene. And um, he's come over, said hello, gone on his break, and he's come back, and I'm sitting there, and I'm <laughs> tucking into my prawn sandwich, and I'm thinking, that sounds like let him come, but it, it can't be, we're in the Ritz. He's, um <laughs> on his break, he went and listened to it, and uh, wrote down the notes, and come back and surprised me. Um So there's me sitting there with my uh, finger sandwiches, and uh, the let him come, the song is playing throughout the Ritz, and... <laughs> And it went down quite well. So um that's how it came about. Um did put a smile on my face. Um, yeah, that's how it came about. Originally, I have the gift of the gab in terms of uh, playing a kind of instrument, unfortunately. Um However, I did try and learn a version of Sway last year to surprise my granddad, because he was a previously Frank Sinatra's pianist. So I kind of been brought up with the Rat Pack and Frank Sinatra. So I did learn... A very basic version of it, which all my family took the mick out of, but, but he loved it, so that's all that really counted for me.
4: Hi, Sam. It's Gary. Championship football, Hi, mate. With Championship Football originally due to return on the 20th, for us, do you think we will be able to pick up from where we left off at Nottingham Forest then?
8: Um, do you know what? I don't see why not. I mean, um, it was only a couple of games before uh, the lockdown that we uh, were seven points off the playoffs. Everyone said, oh, it's probably out of our stretch now. Um, and the championship's a league where everyone drops points. And from fourth to 13th, there's not many points and everyone drops points. So I feel like it was a good a chance of anyone. If we go in, you learn a little bit about your players, um, see who's motivated themselves during this period, knowing the position we're in. So yeah, I don't see why we can't come out all
6: guns blazing. Sam, it's Jeff here. Good evening. Hiya, Jeff. Good evening. Um... Do you think we are now in a really good position to uh, to have a run to get in a playoff spot?
8: Yeah, just of course, absolutely. I mean, touching on the last point, um, everyone's dropping points. Now, don't quote me on exact numbers, but I'm pretty sure if you looked at the last maybe eight games of eight teams that I've in or in and around the playoffs, no one's on a great run. Um, which to me I'm ever the optimist I think that gives us as good a chance as anyone um, to pick up and uh, you know push for these uh, push for the push for the dream
7: all right Sam
5: this this five subs thing they agreed on today um, yep. then possibly 20 players in the squad nine of whom on the bench what do you think about the introduction of these altered arrangements um do you know what I um,
8: at first. Didn't really seem to phase me. Didn't think it would affect us. But when I think about the uh, size of our squad, um, it perhaps could be a small hindrance to us, but, um, we don't have a choice. So, I mean, everyone's, everyone's in the same boat, if you like. But I did think the only thing that would maybe put us in a different boat to some of the other clubs with bigger budgets um, and bigger squads is that we may lose out on that front. But, you know, I, I don't think it will have a huge impact, to be quite honest.
6: I suppose, um, Sam, the idea is that if we have got to fit a lot of games in a short period, they don't want to overload the same 11, same 16, uh, same 18 all the time. But um, of the nine games we've got left, what games do you think might present us with the the toughest challenge to get the points we need? Personally, I think the first game. Um, I mean,
8: you know, with... Our home record, um, I know it's not been as good as this season, but, um, I think if we can go in, make a statement on the first game back, I'm not sure the date, the 17th, 20th, along those lines. If we can go out there, make a statement, then I believe that'll be the most difficult game. If, if we go and lose this game, you know, everyone starts to all of a sudden not get on the back, but starts to be a little bit pessimistic. Uh, yeah. That, I think that could be an issue for us, but I think the first game for a lot of clubs is going to be important. Go and show. Um, that the lockdown hasn't affected uh, you know, the club's ambition and goals, really.
4: Will the lack of um, crowd be something that the team will miss? As it's often. Uh, <coughs> yeah, th- th- this man. Is,
8: yeah, this is partly why I said that in the last point because um, there, there was a stat leading up to um, Fulham a couple of years ago when we nearly made the playoffs that when a full, when there's been a den that's either, I think, 85 or 90% full. The big games, you know, the Leeds, the Cheltons, the playoff games, big cup games. We'd lost one in 21 or something along those lines. Granted, we lost to Fulham that day, but we should have been freeing it up at half time. So yeah, that, that, I, I think it will have a big effect, but that's why I say if we can go out and make it not an issue on our first game, go and win a game against Derby in front of it and no crowd, then hopefully it doesn't have an effect, but I can see it being, um, perhaps used as a bit of an excuse if, uh, if we don't make it, because let's face it, a packed den, which the last few games would be, it's not an easy place to come and get a result. So, yeah, that's uh, my thought on that one.
2: Sam, great having you on the show, as always. Thank you for coming on. Great to hear your granddad play. Regards to your mum, Jackie, of course, a favourite of this show. And I'm sure we're going to hear from you again in the not-too-distant future.
8: No worries. Nice to speak to you. Have a good evening.
5: Bye, Sam. See you Bye, well, Sam.
7: Bye.
2: Lovely stuff. Sam Gardner there, our fan, coming out of lockdown tonight.
5: Hi, Patricia Maslin here. The Millwall Community Trust needs volunteer help. Whether you're an organisation with bodies able to assist or an individual, the Trust needs you during the pandemic to support the vulnerable and the needy. If you can help make a difference, please contact Sean Daly, the Trust's chief Executive Officer. You can contact him by phone on zero seven nine five eight zero two seven zero six zero once again, that's zero seven nine five eight zero two seven zero six zero, or you can contact him by email s that's S D A L Y at Millwall Community or one word dot org dot UK. I'll repeat that S Daily spelt S D A L Y at Millwall Community or one word dot org dot UK. Thanks again if you think you may be able to help or you know someone who might.
2: Now, people continue to lose their lives to this dreadful virus and many remain hospitalised So, Our thoughts go out to their families, their friends and those that care for them.
6: Well, everybody, you can watch out for a new interview special this coming Tuesday when uh, Eamon interviews an old friend of mine, a lion's favourite, Dennis Burnett. Um, He's got many a tale to tell and uh, I think you should all tune into that one. So good night from me. And
5: next week at Friday at 8 will be James, George,
4: and Stanley. And it's good night from me. Good night from Gary. Let's keep it safe on the streets out there.
2: Indeed. And that is all from me, Matt Beadle. Great to be back on the show. Thank you very much for having me, guys. It's been nothing but a pleasure talking to you again. Thank you to the listeners too. Until next time, it is good night from me.